very beautiful. We welcome you all to First Church this morning for the fifth Sunday in Lent. And um, I do have a few announcements for this morning. Uh, the Red Rose on the Altar is in honor of Jean and Pat Shrelicky, who will celebrate 55 years of marriage on April 11th. Happy anniversary. This summer, Pastor Joel will be doing a series of messages on hard questions. And there's a box in the back if, uh, there at the Info Center where you can submit questions on things you don't understand about the Christian faith. You can also email them to the address in the bulletin. This wonderful Wednesday uh, is the last one before Holy Week begins. And this week we will have beef stroganoff for dinner. You're invited to join us at 5.45 p.m. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and also a big day for our confirmation students, as they will read their faith statements and confirm what they believe. We invite you to join us and celebrate with them next Sunday. That is the announcements for this morning. So if you would rise um, and join with me in the call to worship. The call to worship this morning comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all. Now if you join the singing um, hymn number 277, The Church's One Foundation.
children come forward for the children's chat. Please greet your neighbor and uh, how are you guys today? Hey, Jojo, what is it today? It's your daddy's birthday. And who is your daddy? Is your daddy Pastor Joel? Do you think we should all sing happy birthday to him? You do. I think we should too. Just make sure you turn my mic off, okay? All right, are we ready? Right. So we never want to miss a birthday, do we? We like to celebrate birthdays, don't we? All right. Well, today I have two things with me, a flashlight and a mirror. Okay, Connor, you get the flashlight. Okay, so I have a question. I need you to use your imaginations. Okay, have you ever been outside on a bright, sunny day? And you see a reflection coming from something. And it's like a a mirror type something. Okay? Now, let's pretend that Connor's flashlight is the sun. And he's going to turn it on and he's going to shine it right. Look at that. Where's Where's the light shining back at? Is it right at Connor? Should we get it on Luke? Oh, we got it on Luke. What about Livy? Can we get it? Oh, there it is. All right. So you can turn your flashlight off now because it's kind of blinding me. Okay. So in order to make that reflection happen, we need to have our mirror facing toward the light, right? You got to have your mirror facing toward the light. And then we can turn our mirror just a little bit to get it to reflect on what we want it to shine on. Okay? Now, what would happen? Connor, turn that light back on again. What would happen if I put my hand between the light and the mirror? Is it going to reflect? No. You can still see the light, but, but I don't have a reflection, do I? No. Okay. Well, the Bible tells us, that there was a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Who do you think that true light is that the Bible was talking about? Jesus, right. Jesus is the light of the world. Okay? So now, you and I, we need to be like John. And the Bible tells us that we are to let our light shine. But, who is our light? Jesus is our light. Yes. We are not the light. We can't be the light. We are are reflecting Jesus' light from us onto other people. We are the mirror, okay? Jesus' light shines down on us, and we are the mirror to let Jesus' light shine on everyone. Now, how do we do that? Well, first, 
we have to keep our faces turned to Jesus. Okay? We've got to keep our faces turned to Jesus. Okay? Through prayer, through Sunday school, singing uh, VBS songs. Okay? And we can't let anything come between the light and the mirror, between us and Jesus. Whether that be sports or video games or music or whatever, we need to make sure that that area between us and Jesus is, is, is open. Okay? So if we remember those two things, to keep our eyes on Jesus, our faces turned toward Jesus, and not to let anything come between them, then we are reflecting God's light. Okay, let's pray quick. Dear Jesus, we want to reflect your light in the world. Help us to keep our faces turned toward you and help us to keep anything from coming between us and you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Connor. Lost in our service. In Yuma, Arizona, Major Matthew M. Wygand, 34, from Ambler, Pennsylvania. Captain Travis W. Brannan, 30, from Nashville, Tennessee. In Alaska at Elmendorf Richardson Air Base, Specialist Nicholas Peter Demona III, 20, from Medford Lakes, New Jersey. In California, CB Constructionman Kirkland Warren Whitmire, 22, from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Hot Springs, South Dakota, Staff Sergeant Reuben Adam Gilbert, 25, from Auburn, California. In Indiana, Airman Recruit Wyatt Michael Hoax, 19, from Kentland, Indiana. Let's stand and sing together number 433, Sweet Hour of Prayer.
invite you to pray with me at this time. Father, we come to you this morning and lift up our hearts and our minds to you. We thank you for the privilege of prayer, that you do invite us into this moment, into this time to to come before you and, and not just lay our requests at your feet, but also praise you and, and adore you, Lord, for who you are. You are a good and wonderful and perfect God. You created each one of us. You've placed your image within us. And Lord, you call us into a relationship with you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we have this privilege, this opportunity to come before you and and, and acknowledge your presence in our lives, acknowledge your goodness, acknowledge all of the blessings that you have given us. Uh, Lord, we, we, are often, uh, we often find ourselves going from one problem to the next, one concern or one request to the next, um, and we don't always pause to, to worship and adore you as you deserve. And so we do that this morning, that you are the God who has revealed yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. You've given us your words so that we may know you and and, and grow in our relationship with you, and you invite us into this time of prayer uh, so that we can respond to your goodness and your graciousness, Lord, uh, right back to you, and we thank you for that. And so, Lord, we, we ask for, for your continued blessings in our lives and in many and real ways, especially, Lord, as they pertain to the requests that are represented in our prayers and concerns list. Lord, uh, those names there each represent a unique situation, and we ask for your will to be done for them. Whatever it is, Lord, that is needed, you know. Lord, we may not always know what's going on. We may not always see what's going on in those situations. But, Lord, you know us all intimately. You know the number of hairs on our head. You know the number of days in our life. And so we ask, Lord, uh, for your good care and your good provision to be with them. Lord, we also acknowledge that there's many more concerns that are that are not represented in that prayer concerns list. For whatever reason, Lord, uh, we keep those things to ourselves or we just haven't had the opportunity to share them with others. And so we ask, Lord, for your peace and your provision to reign in, in our own lives as well in whatever problems and whatever situations that we face. Lord, we know that you are a God who not only cares about us, but also is able to meet our needs through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we come to you knowing that you are a good, gracious, all-powerful God. And, and we lay our, and that is what gives us the, the courage, and that's what gives us the, the faith to lay uh, these requests at your feet now. And so we do so, Lord, knowing full well that your will is what is best for us. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Those, at this time, I want to invite forward those who are helping to collect this morning's offering, which is going to support the radio ministry. Thank you.
reading for the scripture reading this morning. The scripture reading is from John 1, verses 12 through 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You may be seated. I do have to say, after getting through the announcements without any recognition of my birthday, I thought I was in, you know, clear, clear space there. But thank you, Maria, for wishing me a happy birthday and all of the kids. Um, yeah, I thought I was going to get away from that after the announcements, but that's all right. We're good. Uh, thank you for, um, for thank you for that. Father, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time to worship you. Thank you for. Uh, the opportunity, Lord, uh, to come before you and open up your word together now. Uh, your word is a, is a precious and good gift to us that, that reveals who you are. And as we've been studying these past few weeks, reveals who we are in you and, and the, the purpose and the, the reason that you've given us to be here, Lord, and, and to live our life in honor of you. And so help us to learn from that this morning as we, as we wrap up the series about how to live as part of the family of God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, one of the ways that I learned about, uh, there's a lot of experiences that I've, that I've gone through my life that have taught me the value of teamwork, that have taught me the value of, of the importance of, of relationships. Uh, but uh, one of the, the biggest ones was uh, playing football. I played football through uh, from you know, midget football, as we called it in New York, in sixth grade all the way through graduating in, in high school. Um, now, for those of you who, who were born and raised here in Knoxville and went to school here, football is a team sport um, that you play outside on a football field. Uh, you can just ask someone else if, you, if you're not familiar with it. But uh, I found I played offense. I, was, I, I didn't play defense so much, but I was an offensive lineman. I was a left tackle. And in all the sports I've played, I played basketball and football and, and some others and, and, and recreation sort of spaces, but uh, football is, in my mind, kind of an ultimate team sport because no matter how good you are at your position or how, how well you execute your responsibilities on a given play, if the people around you aren't doing their job, it's not going to amount to anything. You really can't win a game on your own as a football player, especially within the offensive line. So uh, our offensive line, we, we would do things together. We'd have dinner together once a week. We would obviously practice together all the time. And, and, and the reason why was because the offensive line in particular, the five of us that were responsible for blocking on every play, we needed to know each other. We needed to know what each other was doing. We needed to know what the responsibilities were of the person to my right and to my left. And, and only in doing that, only working together were we able to accomplish the goal of, of, of blocking and making a hole for the running back or protecting our quarterback. It wasn't just enough for, en- enough for me to know what I was supposed to do, but I needed to know what the person on my side was doing so that I could help them out. And, and if they had a question, um, I don't know how many times there were, you know, we'd, we'd call, a play would be called in the huddle and you'd look to each other just to make sure we were all on the same page and we knew what we were doing. I found that uh, the lessons that I learned playing football and as a lineman really kind of carried over and helped me to, to realize the importance of teamwork. And, and I believe that those very same lessons and those very same uh, uh, values are true for us as a church. We'll, we'll talk today about how we are 
Uh, in Christ, we are part of God's family. We are a child of God, and we're also been placed in a family full of brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's important for us to know what that means and, and know how we can and should relate to each other. This calling that God has placed in our lives is not just a solo journey. We're not called to go through this life just on our own. Uh, there is no Lone Ranger Christian, right? We're all called into a family, into the family of God. And, and that has uh, certain um, ramifications for how we're called to live our lives. And so today we're going to look at what that means. We're going to start with looking at what it means to be a child of God and once again focus on, on how we can become a child of God and part of his family. And then we're going to look at what we are called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ for each other. So the first thing to notice here in this passage, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, very important passage here in the opening chapter. Uh, John had been talking about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, and it was like, he was like a light that shone in the darkness, yet the darkness did not understand him, did not receive him. And then it comes to verses 12 and 13. Uh, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of nat- not born of natural descent nor of a human decision or husband's will, but born of God. You know, our status as God's children, we see here in this passage, is not dependent, or excuse me, it is dependent on whether or not we receive or believe in Him, as it says here. It's not our works, it's not our social status, it's not any other sort of inherent or earned quality that I possess in and of myself. It's simply the reality of whether or not I have received and believed in His name. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, Paul puts it like this. He says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Notice again, it's not, it's not anything that we had done to earn it or deserve it. It's all simply by His grace and His mercy. And we're saved by the rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You know, in John chapter 3, with his, Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, He tells him, you know, you must be born again in order to see or be a part of the kingdom of God. And, and again, it's, it's born of the Spirit. It's born from above. It's, it's, God is, is very clear in His Word that this transition from, from death into life, this transition from the old self into the new self, is not something we can do for ourselves. It's not something we can earn or, or, or buy our way into. It's simply the result of God's grace and His mercy towards us. And so again, in, in John chapter 1, these two verses, it teaches us three things uh, Three ways that we cannot become part of God's family. And the first is of natural descent. Right? We are not part of God's family simply because our parents or grandparents or ancestors were part of God's family. As a pastor I used to work with always would say, God has no grandchildren, just children. Right? God, God wants to invite each and every one of us into a relationship with Him to become His children. And we can't, we don't do so off of the, the merits of our parents or grandparents' faith. We can't just rely on that. We need to become part of His family ourselves. So it's not of natural descent, and nor is it of, of human decision. 
Again, we can't save ourselves. That's not up to us, no matter how hard we try. This is the kind of a rejection of this extreme individualism that our culture is so fond of right now, that you can determine your own worth, your own destiny, your own future. That all you have to do is look within yourself and decide for yourself what you want to do. You know, that sort of mindset creeps into our faith, into the Christian faith as well. How many times have we seen Philippians 4.13 plastered on a poster, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Right? Yes, but, but within the context of the verse, it's not talking about you can literally do whatever you want, right? I'm never going to be an NFL football player, right? No matter how hard I try, it is literally not going to be possible for me to attain that sort of uh, career. No matter how hard I may want it or how hard I may try, I knew from my high school days that, that the high school level was it for me. And so, so John here is reminding us again that our part in God's family is not simply a matter of our own, our own uh, determination, our own ability. Even our ability to receive and, and believe in God is a gift from Him. Think about it this way. All, all the belief in the world would do us no good if Christ never died on the cross. If Christ didn't die, if Christ didn't live a perfectly obedient life, if He didn't willingly go to the cross, die in our place, and rise again on the third day, our, all of the belief in the world would be useless. I could believe I was a sinner that had offended God. I could believe that I was wrong and, and God was right this whole time. And I could want to be part of His family. But if Christ didn't die, that belief would be in vain. Even our belief, even our ability to recognize our sinfulness is, is, is worthless compared to what Christ has done for us. Our belief and our, rece- our reception of Him is only, only worth it because Christ died on the cross, because of that gift of grace that He has given us. And we can't decide to overcome our sin on our own. It's, it's only through receiving the gift of grace through Christ that we can do it. So it's, it's not of natural descent, but nor is it of human decision. And thirdly, it's not of a husband's will either. In other words, nobody can decide it for you. Nobody can decide that you are now a believer in Christ or nobody can receive that gift on your behalf. You know, we see this, of course, all the time with, with close family relationships, right? We, as parents, we want our kids to be believers, right? We want our kids to grow in the faith. One of the prayers that Allie and I have always prayed for our kids is that they will grow to be strong and healthy and they will grow to know and love you. Speaking, of course, to the Lord. You know, that's, that's our prayer for our kids, and that is a good prayer to pray. But, but, you know, I can't decide that for Josephine and for Miles. That's a decision they have to make for themselves. The same is true for, for spouses. Maybe, you know, you, you, we, we know of people that are in relationships where maybe a husband or a wife is a believer and the other is not. And no matter how hard that, that spouse wants their, their, their spouse to be a believer, that's not a decision they can make for them. They can model that for them. They can pray for them. They can love them and be an example of Christ's love in the home. But, but they can't make that decision for, them, for that other person. They need to make it for themselves. And, and I believe these, these things, these um, be not of natural descent nor of human decision nor of husband's will, the three of them together really combat two of the predominant sources of identity in our world. In, in the Western world, we have this sense of hyper-individualism, that I can choose my own destiny, that I can define right and wrong for myself, that I can determine meaning and value and purpose on my own. And John here is reminding us that, that 
that no matter how hard we try, we can't find true our identity in Christ on our own. We need to find it in Him. But then there's also that non-Western narrative that our value and our identity is found within our family. It's, a, it's an honor-shame-based perspective to life that ultimate purpose and meaning is found in upholding the family name and, the, and, the, and bringing honor to your family, whatever the values of, of that particular culture may be. And again, this goes against that sort of uh, uh, family identity mindset because, again, our identity is not in our earthly family. It's in our heavenly family. It's in our spiritual family uh, as, with, with God as our father and Christ as our, as our brother. And so to become a child of God is, is to receive and to believe in him. And, and we receive him by believing in his name. His name is, is, is a way to represent his character. Everything that Jesus represents the name in, in the Old Testament and the Bible was meant to reveal just more than what you called someone to get their attention, but it, it represented their character and their and everything about who they were. And so to believe in his, to believe in Jesus's name is to believe in who he is, the Son of God sent to redeem this world. And belief is again more than just simple head knowledge to know of Jesus or to to know some things about him from the Bible, but it's but it's meant to be trust. It's, it's recognizing our need and acknowledging Him as our only Savior. Our place in God's family can't be earned by us, but it is earned by someone, isn't it? Jesus was perfectly obedient. He suffered our punishment and He lives again. And it was His work. It's His obedience. It's His uh, death and His resurrection that earns our place in God's family. And so we're not children born of natural descent or husband's will uh, or of human decision, but born of God. See, it's a very personal analogy. I was at a, a conference for the first half of um, this past week in Indianapolis, and, and one of the one of the one of the sessions was on not this passage, but on John chapter three with Nicodemus and talked about how, how God could have used a whole variety of analogies to describe what it means to be born again. And and he does throughout scripture. You know, he uses the analogy of of the vine and the branches. Like we looked at last week, that close personal relationship we're called to have with Christ elsewhere. God uses the analogy of a seed being planted to describe what it means for the kingdom of God to be made manifest in someone's life, for that seed to take root and flourish and to bear fruit. But when asked about Nicodemus, about uh, this, within this conversation of Nicodemus and elsewhere in Scripture, like in John chapter 1, uh, we see this analogy of being born, again, being born into a family. And that is a very personal relationship. And I think that God uses that uh, for a reason. You know, families come with built-in relationships that are really unavoidable. And there's, th- those relationships go two ways, and we see that carried out here in, throughout Scripture. First is our relationship with the parent. You know, we have, when we're born into a, a family, we're born with, with parents. Even if we're adopted into a family, we're adopted into a family with parents that love us and care for us. And so naturally there is that parent relationship. And so within the family of God, there is that relationship that we have with the Father, that, that close connection with Him. And it's the Father's joy for us to receive new life. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, verses 31 through 32, 
Uh, John, excuse me, Jesus says in that passage, you know, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. And then he goes on to say that it is the father's joy. It is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid because the father rejoices in granting us the kingdom in granting us new life. We've talked about that relationship in some detail the last couple of weeks. And so for the remainder of our time today, I want to focus on that other relationship, that relationship that we have with our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. You know, we've all, if we've all been welcomed into his family, if we've all been brought into the family of God, that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, what, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We should be called children of God. Not just me, not just you, but we should be called children of God together. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 17, Paul puts it this way. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, the plural, we are children of God. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. God has brought us into his family, but he has brought us to to know him, to be in a relationship with him. But he's also brought us into his family so that we may be in a relationship with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray the Lord's Prayer every week together. And uh, the, the prayer begins with our Father. Notice the plural there. Again, it reinforces this idea of of the family of God. God is our Father, but He's not just my Father, He's our Father. It puts us within context, in context with each other. And as the members of the family of God, we we have a responsibility to the church, and and the church has a responsibility to us. When I say church, I don't mean this building or the ministry that takes place here, I mean each other. The church of God is the people of God. You are the church, I'm the church. We are all the church together. And so when I say that, that we have a responsibility to the church, it means that we have a responsibility to one another as Christians. And when the church has a responsibility to you as a child of God, that means that, that we, the collective church, have a responsibility to you to care for you and to provide for you. And that's what we're going to be talking about with the remainder of our time here today. In the New Testament, there are uh, roughly 47 one another statements. In other words, to to love one another, to care for one another, describing how we should treat one another as Christians. Now, we're not going to cover all 47 of them today, but we will take a look at a couple of them uh, as we look about what, take a look at what it means to be part of the family of God. Uh, first, we're going to look at uh, actually the call to worship passage that was read for us, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 describes how being part of the family means that we are united as one in the Spirit. I won't read the whole thing for you again because I know you, we've already heard it once today, but beginning at verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul makes it pretty clear here that we are one in Christ. 
We are not, we are not many. We are not a, a, a group of different people that just happen to show up in the same place at the same time once a week. But we are one. We are united in Christ. And though, we, and, and though we are united, that doesn't mean that there is a uniformity. Diversity is possible and even expected within the body of Christ. The common connection that we have that brings that unity, that makes unity possible, is that connection in Christ. Now, we may not agree on everything. We won't agree on everything. We'll disagree on a whole range of topics that are secondary and tertiary and so on down the list. But the one thing that matters, the one thing that keeps us together in Christ is that common bond through the Spirit. Notice here it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's unity that comes through that common uh, indwelling of the Spirit, that common uh, salvation we have in Christ, but we also have to put our part in to keep that unity. Unity is expected, but it doesn't come easily. It's very hard to, and so, so what we, one of the ways that we can maintain that unity is to learn to pray with and for each other. Prayer is such an important part of the life of the church. It's the, it's the lifeblood of the church. And I believe it helps us to maintain unity because it's very hard to maintain a grudge. It's very hard to hate someone if you commit to pray for them regularly. And I, I don't mean just pray like for them in passing, but really pray for them. Pray that God's will would be done. Pray that uh, prayer that um, that God would they would experience God's grace and His mercy, and pray that you would be an avenue for God to reach out to them. That sort of prayer will change you. It'll change them, hopefully too, right? But it'll change us as well as we learn to pray for those that we disagree with or we may not see eye to eye with. Prayer brings us together. And prayer also for, the, for, for those of us that do get along, for those of us that, that there is a natural connection, prayer strengthens that as well. And so we need to work towards unity. We need to do things that promote peace, that encourage and build one another up. And we need to avoid making a mess of it too. We need to avoid selfish and self-serving attitudes, unforgiveness, sin. Those things that can be destructive to relationships can, can, can harm the unity of the church family. Philippians 2, Paul encourages us to not think of our own selfish desires, not put those things first, but to look to the needs of others first. That same attitude that Christ himself had when he came to, to live and to die for us, putting us first. We should have that same attitude towards one another. And so we have diversity within the body of Christ, within the family of God. As Paul puts in 1 Corinthians 12, there are many parts but one body. God created and gifted us uniquely, and, and we all have something to contribute, although it may look differently. And though, no matter what the, the body part, no matter what the position, we're, all of those gifts, all of us have been equipped by the same Spirit. And so therefore, there are no second-class Christians or no super-Christians either. We are all one in Christ, and we all have something to contribute and give for the family. And so to maintain unity, we need to learn to live out those uh, learn to live as the body of Christ, many parts in one body. And in doing so, we need to learn to keep the main thing the main thing. Christ-centered, gospel-promoting focus. As we do that, as we learn to, to keep Christ at the center of everything we do, when we learn to, to proclaim the gospel and everything and, and with all that we are and all that we do as a church, that will help maintain the unity as well because we'll be centered around that one common connection that we have in Christ. And so we are called to be the, 
the sp- called to uh, be the body of Christ, and we're called to use our spiritual gifts as the body of Christ. First Corinthians 12 uh, lays that out for us, what that looks like. We are, though we are many, we are one in Christ, and is that one Spirit that has given us all the same, has given us each gift. I do want to make a distinction between spiritual gifts and natural talents, right? We're all born with natural talents. There are certain things that we just do well. And there are plenty of people that aren't Christians that do things very well, right? That have natural talents and gifts and abilities. And those are good. They are God-given natural talents in each one of us. Spiritual gifts are something a little different. They're, they're not something we're born with. They're something that we're born again with. That, that as we enter in a relationship with Christ, He enables us by His Spirit to to uh, have with certain gifts and abilities to, to do certain things for the common good of the church. I believe every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. We see that in 1 Corinthians twelve seven as well as verse 27, that each one has been given a gift according to the, the Spirit's discretion. We're all part of the body of Christ and, and we're all gifted in our own way. Some of those gifts are, are upfront gifts, Right, like preaching and teaching, like leading people in worship. Uh, but sometimes those gifts are, are background gifts, gifts of prayer and helps, those things that people don't always see, but things that are, are important nonetheless. They're all important, all part of how God gifts his church to do the work of the ministry. And so I want to encourage you, to, in order to, to be part of God's family, in order to truly live as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to discover our spiritual gifts through prayer, uh, through, through experimentation. Give something a shot. Maybe you don't know that God has gifted you in a certain area. Maybe God hasn't, uh, maybe you don't realize it until you try something. There's nothing wrong with simply giving something a shot. Volunteering in a certain area, working in a, in, with, a, with a different group than you normally work with. Uh, in order to determine whether God has, has gifted you in that area. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that these gifts are given for the common good. You know, we grow spiritually, we grow in our relationship with the Father uh, as we learn to, to use our gifts and depend on His grace more and more. But we also grow together as a family when we utilize our gifts for the benefit of others. You know, God has gifted you in a certain way, not just for your own benefit, for the, but for the people in the pews next to you, for the people within this church and within this community. And so not using your gifts, it really does deprive the church, your spiritual family, of what God wanted to do through you. And your participation in the body of Christ is a blessing to everyone else, and your absence is felt when, when you're not here. And so it's important to not just use these gifts for own benefit, but also realize that using them is a blessing and benefit to each other. And it's one of the ways that we grow as a church, that we grow is by, by putting our own spiritual gifts to use for the benefit of others. And so we are called to be united. We're, we're called to be the body of Christ and use our spiritual gifts as one. Uh, we're also called to support one another spiritually. And here's where some of those one another statements come in. John 13:35 says that that the world will know that that we are his disciples when we learn to love one another. What an important task to to truly love and not just love as the world loves but love in a real and practical way. It means encouraging one another and building one another up. As Paul tells us to do in 1 Thessalonians 5:11. 
all the more as we see the day approaching, we should be trying to, trying to grow each other, trying to encourage one another so that we may grow in our faith. As I mentioned before, we can't do this on our own. We need one another to truly grow and walk with Christ and so to, to come alongside and help another brother or sister in Christ out spiritually by loving them, by encouraging them, by building them up is, is how we get through this life together. And that also means that there are times when it's important to hold each other accountable. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens man. Right? We're called to, to lift each other up and to point each other towards Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. James 5 talks about how when we, when we wander from the truth, someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from their error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Accountability is important. We, we help each other stay on task. We help each other keep focused on Christ by holding each other accountable. But that's only possible, that only truly works when we have a good, solid relationship with one another. When there's trust there. When you know that the other person is doing it out of love and not out of judgment, right? When you know the person is doing it for your good and not just to knock you down a couple notches, right? So that that relationship, that trust is needed to truly build one another up, but it's also needed to truly hold each other accountable when it's necessary. That's why these relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ are so important because they help keep us on track spiritually. So we're called to support each other spiritually, but we're also called to support each other uh, materially. The honest truth is that we are blessed to be a blessing to others. God has given to you, not just again, not just for your own benefit, but so that you may be a blessing to those in need around you. Just as our, we are called to use our spiritual gifts to lift up one another, we're called to use our financial and material gifts to support one another as well. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, this great description of the early church in addition to prayer and fellowship and the breaking of bread and, and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were also known for giving of themselves to those who were in need, supporting one another as they saw needs that they were able to meet. And so it's important for us to not turn a blind eye to those who are in need. As we see a need, as God has equipped us and enabled us to meet it, we need to do so as a church body. Within the church body, but also in the community as well as we are able to. Another one of the, the sessions at, at my conference this past week talked about the story of the, the paralytic who was brought to Jesus by his four friends. And, and not to get into the point of that session or the, the topic that that preacher was, was, was going towards, but he made a comment that stuck with me about how, how the, 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 the setting of the story is, is this Jesus was in a room and, and there was so, it was such a crowded place. So many people had gathered to, to hear him preach that, there was, that the people bringing the, their friend, this paralytic, they were unable to get through the door. And so they resorted to literally tearing the roof off the place and lowering their friend down in front of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to heal him and forgive him of his sins. But he pointed out, he said, this crowd had to have seen them coming. 
There are plenty of people there. I'm sure they tried to make their way in the front door. But think about what must have happened. They were unable to get through, which meant the crowd saw someone in need. They saw a person in desperate need to get to Jesus, and they turned their backs on him. They chose to ignore him. They chose to turn a blind eye to the person's need. We can't do that as Christians. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we will come across needs. Some of our own, but we will come across needs that that we see in each other. And to ignore them, to turn a blind eye to them, is to not truly love as we are called to love. And so we need to not only meet each other's spiritual needs, which is first and foremost, but also meet each other's material, physical needs as well. And when we do so, we'll, we'll truly be displaying the love of Christ in all of its forms. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you have called us into a family, which means that we have this perfect uh, relationship with you, our, our perfect and good Father. Uh, but you all, we also have that relationship, that built-in relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to live in unity. Help us to, to support each other spiritually as well as materially. And, and in doing so, learn to truly love one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand in and closing and sing number 283, We Are God's People.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.